this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, we talk about older people driving. If there is life elsewhere and the best TV comedies of all time. Plus, Veep star Matt Walsh joins us to talk about his brand new movie, Unplugging. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at stevemason.com and make sure to leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob M. Ronnie. Accident or injury, call Jacob and Ronnie. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Everybody and welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with the great Sue Kalinsky. Sue, how are you feeling? Feeling good. Nice. I'm I'm actually coming off uh, a day yesterday where um, I had a moment of what would you call it? Um, Clarity. Good, good good Samaritanism. Oh, nice, nice. I. Uh, I was sitting in my car in a parking lot. I was I was uh, going into Roger Dunn. Okay. Oh. To buy a new golf bag. Well, Working to look at a golf. new golf bag. Yeah. And I'm sitting in my car, and uh, I'm on the phone, and I look up and I see a car uh, right across from me, kind of to the side of me, trying to get into a parking spot. Okay. And it was an elderly guy. All right. And I'm looking, and he looks awfully close to one of the cars next to him. Oh, no. And he tried to get in. And from my angle, I couldn't see if he actually hit the car, but it looked like he did. Oh. And then he backed out, and then he pulled into another spot so I can see his license plate. So did you see damage? Well, I got out of my car. Yeah. And I looked at the at the side of the um, driver's side, and there was a, a big scratch. I don't know. I, I didn't see. I from the angle of him pulling in, I couldn't exactly see if he did that right. or he decided to get out of the spot because it was too close. So I, um, I you know, started to write a note to whosoever car it was. Okay. And I saw he either walked into one of two places. Yep. And. Um, so as I'm about to put the note on the woman's uh, windshield. The one who got hit. The one who got hit. Yeah. Well, I said the woman because it turned out it was a woman. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, see, I see a woman walking towards the car and it's her car. And I said to her, um, somebody hit your car. And I, I, I actually saw it happen. And I have his license plate. He's, he's still here. Mm. So if you want me to wait with you, I can wait with you. And she said, I really appreciate that. And um, the guy came out and then the confrontation. Well, I walked over to him and I said, I was sitting in my car and I saw that you were attempted to get into this spot. And uh, and apparently you you hit this woman's car and you scratched it. And he came over and he was like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. So anyway, do you um, think he knew that he scratched it? Well, yeah, he did know because he did. He, he said I thought I heard something and it's like, okay, well, how come <laughs> you just walked away and went into a store? So you knew you did it yep. or you thought you did it. Sure. And he never looked to see if there was any damage. He just walked right into the store. Wow. So, but he, you know, he, he owned up to it and he said, he? yeah, I'm really and sorry. And they settled the score? I left. I just you left. Uh, uh, I left. I said, yeah, it's it reminds me of my uh, grandmother. Uh, late grandmother, Rose Santa Cruz, 6th Avenue, Altoona, Pennsylvania, bought her a car fairly late in life. I would say she was in her late 70s, early 80s. And there was an incident where she was apparently in an accident uh, and drove away. Sort of the situation you just described hit somebody in a parking lot, drove away. Now, my grandmother never got the car out of the garage again. She was just scared to hell. Mm. 
That traumatized her, huh? She never drove again. And then I got a call from her one day and she said, Stevie, because that's what I called in our family, (laughs) Stevie, the police are here (gasps) and they have questions about my car. Could you talk to them? So I talked to the police and settled the damage and made sure it was all together. But my grandmother never drove again. Rose after that. So um, how much to spend on the car? God, I don't. It was. It was. It wasn't like. like it wasn't like a brand new car. No, it was like a ding. You know, it's yeah. like a ding. Right. But right. Uh, the police somehow tracked her down. Oh no! Did she think she was going to? to she the, thought she to, was going to gonna do time. Oh. She was terrified. Oh. So I was well, reading this reading this book called uh, Bewilderment. It's by Richard Powers. Do you believe in life? out there beyond us? You know, it's such a tricky thing for me because why? I I don't know. I mean, I I guess the times that I think that there's, there's other life out there is when I'm in my house and I can't find something that I know is in the house. And I know I put it somewhere and I can't find it. So when you misplace something, like the car keys or your purse or something, you immediately assume, and I think this is logical, aliens. Yes. (laughs) It's either aliens or it's my housekeeper. (laughs) (laughs) One scenario way more likely than the other. Aliens is a, is a bridge. I like, I, I can't find my keys. Damn you aliens. Is that what goes on at your house? Not my keys. Not my keys. Not stuff. Like there, th- I had this, this incident where <laughs> I had a tweezer, right? Yeah. And I could not find it. Okay. And I looked everywhere for it. Yeah. I looked in my travel bag. I yes. looked in every drawer. I looked mm. in the creases of every, like the couch. Yeah. Um, I looked everywhere for it yeah. and I, I couldn't find it. And I had to buy a new one. And I'm like, someone's screwing with me. You know what? Aliens love tweezers. Apparently. <laughs> tweezer man. They're really good. Did you ever find the tweezers? Never found him. Oh, uh, that's proof. Right. That's that's proof of life out there. You've and I think that tweezers. and I think that the life that is out there has maybe very bushy eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> maybe no more, because now they have my tweezer. So Here's the thing. I do believe there's life out there. I don't think they're hanging out here. I don't think people are getting probes from, you know, alien abductions or anything like that. But I do believe there's something out there. And this is what grabbed me from this. Okay. So in our galaxy, there are billions with an S inhabitable planets in our galaxy, in our universe. There are billions of galaxies, which means there are hundreds of billions of inhabitable galaxies. Now, how can we be the only ones? Oh, sorry. I was reading something about um, Jupiter. Yeah, Jupiter. They say that Jupiter could be a place where there's life because there's like, I don't know, it's also confusing to me, but there's moons. On Jupiter, yeah, where they have found that there could be there could be life there, and I guess whether you know, like I know Mars, like didn't they find water I on think Mars? They might or have found the remnants of water, or where right. water cov- uh, you know cut through the rock, something like that. Right. So um, I guess when when you see stuff like that, you think, oh, okay, so it could be inhabitable, but but the life forms like. Who knows what they what these life forms feed on? Hundred you know percent I mean? true. Hundred just because like, do we they need live, that to live? Yeah, just because we need oxygen doesn't right. mean everything needs oxygen. Right. But the point is, there are billions of planets like ours that exist that do have oxygen, and then billions of galaxies with billions of plants like it's you know after reading this book i'm like well yeah obviously there's something out there obviously and look you know after years and years of watching different incarnations of star trek you kind of think there's got to be something oh yeah gene roddenberry yeah he knew 
He knew way back when. All right, so we got Matt Walsh coming on, and Matt Walsh is from one of the funniest television series of all time. That is Veep. So as an exercise, before we get to Matt, I thought, all right, now you're you're super funny, stand up, all that stuff. Uh, what our what are our favorite television comedies of all time and narrow the field to five. Five is a really, really difficult number. Agreed. Um, and I'm going kind of old, old school with a lot of my choices. Okay. I'll be curious to see if we have anything in common. Okay. Dick Van Dyke show. Yeah. See, Dick Van Dyke was sort of pre me. Okay. Is that Very the one funny. where he trips over the ottoman and Yeah, well sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't. Oh, okay. Got it. I didn't realize that sometimes he successfully Yeah, sometimes he, the- he went to walk and then he stepped around it. And you never knew it. in each episode if he was gonna fall good, over. Good it. for him. I'm glad he knew where it was some of the time. But it was just a funny little thing that they oh, yeah, added yeah. to the opening of the show. Great um, show. I a little bit preemie. Oh god, so funny. Mary Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore is on my list. Okay. Unbelievably funny show. I loved uh, Ted uh, Knight. Baxter. Ted as Knight, Ted yeah. Baxter was so damn funny. Um, and uh, I loved uh, the relationship between Lou and Mare and all that. Sue Ann Niven was fantastic on that mm-hmm. show, which was Betty White. Yeah, that, that is on my list. I remember every single Saturday night watching Mary Tyler Moore show at nine o'clock. Okay. Um, All in the Family. Also on my list. Mm -hmm. That was Saturday nights at 8 o'clock. And somebody, I guess it was Michael Thompson said, could they they do All in the Family today? Do you think they could? I... I Everybody seems a little sensitive out there. Maybe this is just me. Everybody seems a little sensitive. Well, you know, it's funny how I think that there will be a time where we will be able to get back to doing a show like that again. I think it'll be cyclical. Yes, I do. Um, That's brilliant. That show by today's standards, Norman Lear, I mean, forget it. Just so brutally honest, you know, I mean, just to have a character like Archie Bunker. You know, see, my dad was Archie Bunker. Really? Oh, yeah. He was. He was Archie. My dad was kind of racist, kind of anti-Semitic, kind of anti-gay, kind of all of those things. And so when I was watching it, I was just like, oh, yeah. But, you know, what was great was my dad watched it. It like held up a mirror to my dad and my dad realized, oh, yeah, I probably need to tighten up a little. I, I need to change my vocabulary a little bit. So he saw himself in Archie Bunker? Yes, he, he did. Yes. Huh. So did you have to like, did you like brace yourself when he was in mixed company? Because you never knew what he was going to say. Oh, Sue, you cannot even believe. Wow. Um, like in I front was, of me, would he make anti-Semitic remarks? No, 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 no. And okay. when I say anti-Semitic, I mean, you know, he would use the word Jew as a verb. Oh, yeah. Like someone Jewed him. So, exactly. He would use yeah. that. Um, and I finally, when he moved out to Palm Springs, I was like, listen, Dad, all your neighbors are Jews. You got to you got to tighten up this language a little bit because everybody, everybody around here is uh, is Jewish. And I I think that I, I was there mean spiritedness with my dad. At times there was. At times there was, although he kind of grew out of, you know, having two gay sons and living in Palm Springs does change your view of the world. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because how could it not? I how mean, could it not? Exactly. Because then how could you live there? Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's see. Um, what are your three so far? Mary Tyler Moore, All the Family and Dick, Dick Van, Van Dyke. Dyke. Yep. Larry Sanders. Oh, I don't have Larry Sanders on my list, but what an unbelievably good show. Just so unique. And he was just brilliant. Just a mixture of, you know, doing a show that was, you know, a satirizing late night television yep. and the behind the scenes. I mean, it was just brilliant. Rip funny. Torn oh, and Jeffrey Tambor. Yes. Fantastic in yes. that show. 
Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, there's something very, I don't exactly know what this, it's very meta. It's very meta because it's looking at talk shows as a pretend talk show with a mixture of live guests, like real guests, real, real and, guests. Yeah. And, and scripts and all that stuff. No, I, I thought uh, Larry Sanders show. Unbelievable. Great. show. Right. And the honeymooners. Oh, geez. What year is it? Sue? Well, I'm sorry, but that's <laughs> like, I love Lucy. How could okay. you know? How could okay. you not put, you know, let I love Lucy, but the honeymooners, I mean, come on. Art Carney and Jackie Gleason. I mean, everybody in that show was hysterical. The writing was brilliant. The characters were just so funny. Complete cultural blind spot for me. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you're never watched it. Never watched it. Never watched it. No, never watched it. You've never watched a single episode of the honeymooners. No, I don't even think we got the honeymooners when I what was. What do you kid. mean you didn't get? I don't it. think we got it. I don't like think it, it didn't was on come TV on. It didn't us. come on your television. It didn't. Well, what years did the the honeymooners run? Probably like nineteen fifty nine to nineteen sixty six. I'm just throwing out numbers, but something I, I, like that. Maybe I. I know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, when, I did, was Lucy, born when did Lucy come out? It was black and white. So I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Now Lucy um, was on after school, so I saw Lucy. But Honeymooners never on when I got home from school. So. All right. Well, five five for me is hard because there's it's genera- generationally, you know, I grew up with these shows. Yeah. And to me, they still hold their weight. And then since then, I mean, you you brought up. You know, like Veep. Oh. I mean, Veep is was br- is, is is brilliantly funny, and I I just start. I I watched a bunch of episodes in preparation of interviewing Matt, and it is so oh, goddamn funny. Crazy. I mean, yeah. So, yeah. So my list includes two of yours, All in the Family, and Mary Tyler Moore Show. Then I throw in there for good measure Veep, which. Mm-hmm. You know, of modern show, Veep and Curb are the two funniest modern television series, I think. And then I threw in 30 Rock just because I love 30 Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, it never did well in the ratings, but it was always funny. Always made me like Janelle, uh, Jenna Maloney, who was played by Jane Krakowski. Always mm-hmm. funny. Uh, there are things I've taken from that show that I use until this day. Like, for example, I have to appear on camera. On camera, <laughs> <laughs> something Jenna Maloney always said. Some other ones, though, on my list that uh, were in the ballpark. Uh, Frasier, mm-hmm. very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, what We Do in the Shadows, which is a current show, which makes me laugh a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Carol Burnett Show, mm-hmm. she was fantastic. In mm-hmm. fact, that Saturday night of TV when I was growing up was 8 o'clock was all in the family. 8.30, they never quite figured out. 9 o'clock, Mary Tyler Moore Show. 9.30, Bob Newhart Show. 10 o'clock, Carol Burnett Show. That was a night of TV. Right. So I have, um, Bar- I, I, on my other shows, I have Bob, Bob Newhart and I have Arrested Development. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I never watched Arrested Development. I, oh, I know God. people love it. Yeah. Brilliantly funny. Soap. Soap. Yeah. Soap first, first gay character I ever saw on TV. Billy Crystal played a gay character right. on that show. And Schitt's Creek, I had. Schitt's Creek is fantastic. Schitt's Creek is different. I was actually having this debate with Juan. So which one's funnier? Probably Veep. Which one has a bigger heart? Probably Schitt's Creek. Right. They're they're a little bit different in that way. Well, so we talk a lot about Veep. Our guest today is a two-time Emmy nominee for his role as Mike McClintock on, uh, for my money, the greatest comedy of the last two decades. That would be Veep, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus. He's got countless television and film credits, including his new movie, Unplugging. It is coming out Friday, April the 22nd. Matt Walsh is here. Matt, thank you so much for doing this. I love it. I'm honored. Thank you. So is that a Peloton behind you? Do you, uh, do you ride the Peloton? <laughs> is it a place where you hang clothes? What's the story? I wish I would have set dressed my Zoom a little better. You're going to pick it apart. You're going to unpack <laughs> Peloton, the UCB thing in the back, the I love you. This is not fair. Uh, the Peloton is my wife's. I obviously have complete license to use it, but I never use it. I've only used it twice. 
but I did enjoy it those two times I have used it. But she uses it a lot for uh, yoga even. Like there's a lot of great classes on it. So she is benefiting from it. I am not. And the I love you, is that, is that for us? That's for you. And you <laughs> uh, spreading the love. The world, the world always needs more love, as you know. Yes. Appreciate, uh, appreciate it. I, my wife hung that. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's sweet, but it's also distracting no 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 i love it's it sweet. i love it it's it's it's, it's homey it's homey it's homey yeah 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 so i you know we watched on unplugging just i i mean i laughed so much uh during this movie it is love really it. really funny and you and Eva Longoria have got such great chemistry do you think is is chemistry automatic or is that something you've got to work at uh, chemistry is not automatic, even if you're both like professionals and really talented. I, I think chemistry is that intangible sort of trust and commitment that either playfulness or similar goals or time spent together can win you. But it is that intangible. And fortunately, Eva, who I'd never worked with, never met, was such a gamer and she's such a joy and you know, it was an indie movie and she was just in it to win it. She was in the trenches. You know how it is. All right, we're moving here. No trailers. And she's a very busy person. And she jumped into Tulsa, Oklahoma and spent three and a half weeks pre-vaccine doing a COVID movie. Wow. Uh, and it was, uh, yeah, she's wonderful. And we did have chemistry. I'm glad it reads because she's great. So you co-wrote the movie. Yeah. And when you co-write a movie, um, how much say do you have when it comes to casting? Well, I was a producer too. So I had a hundred percent casting the, the things you don't have casting in, like in the very early stages of any movie, they're going to just give you a list of 30 actresses that the financier will say, here are 30 people we think will help us win our money back. And you can't leave that list. So Eva obviously is a big star. She is on those kind of lists. So, but you, after that, once you're putting pieces together, I have relationships with some of these people that jumped in like Leah and Nicole Byer. Uh, I'd never worked with David Keith, but so catch as catch can, but in the, in the, in a two hander, I think probably that second lead or first lead in some ways, uh, you got to make sure that the producer is happy. So the the premise in unplugging is something we all deal with all the time now. The amount of time we spend on our devices and on our screens, and you you guys are a couple that goes out to the wilderness. I guess you would say. Um, I'm I'm curious from you, how much time do you spend on your devices and your screens? More than I would like. I do a lot of frittering away. Like I play words with friends with my mom and I'm on Wordle like everyone. And Did uh, you get the Wordle today? Have you done it yet? I haven't tried it. Oh, yeah. It's a good one. It's a tough one. It's a tough do they one. get progressively harder, much like the crossword? They're running out of five-letter words. They really are to the point <laughs> where they are so tough now. They're okay. so tough. And it ruins my day if I don't get I was just telling Sue, if I don't get my Wordle at the beginning of the day, I'm like, fuck this day. Have you lost? Have you not completed one? Absolutely. I three okay. times this week. I, I failed in six attempts to get the wordle. So yeah, I, I can be awful at this. Well, you I were saying that the I let go of trying to be perfect at Wordle. I don't care if I don't get it. I'd rather burn through six tries than have it haunt me with one guest left and carry it through the rest of the day. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. It's a similar kind of obsession. I just want to put it down. Because you're right, it'll be like S blank A-R-E, and it can be scare, share, spare, you know what I mean? And there's like so many guesses you can go through. I missed one this week. I had four letters in the right place and guessed the wrong letter that was supposed, like I, I think it might have been, I guessed scare when it was stare, Yeah, uh, which is so, so friggin' frustrating. Yeah, you get to three, and you have three guesses left, and it's spare, stare, scare, and then it's share. Right. <laughs> it, now, now, is it ever a word where you're like, oh, that's not a word? You feel like it's like Scrabble, like you want to challenge the game. But not in Wordle. They're no, pretty, not in Wordle? You know, public domain knowledge seeming. They're, they're not, no, no, not in Wordle. The problem with Wordle is what we're talking about is like, do you not play? I know the concept of it. Okay, yeah. But the problem is exactly what we're saying is like, it could be at this point, even though you get 
four of the five letters at this point, it still could be like six words and you only have two guesses left. Yes. Yes. Right, right, right. Cause I, I play, I play this game. It's called wordscape. It's like a jumble. So okay. it's a circle of letters. And then there's like a, looks like a crossword puzzle graph. And you have to, you have to go from letter to letter to letter to make a word. And then it flies up into this graph. Uh, and there are times where words come up and I'm like, oh, come on. I, I've never even heard of that word. That's not a word. Sometimes, you know, sometimes they're, they're, the words are not easy. And yeah. sometimes I just get it by accident because it's just, you know, process of elimination. It's like, oh, I'll just try this. And that's like, oh, really? But like, I mean, some of these like words. Scoople? What's yeah, scoople? Yeah, scoople. I don't know. What's scoople? So one of the words this week was apply. Okay. So it's tricky because it starts with an A and then it's got two P's. That totally messes me up when there are two of a particular letter in the wordle. That's the other variable. You're right. You're so right. So how how are you and uh, and your wife with uh, devices? So like yeah, as we got off this wordplay tangent, uh, that's one of my frivolous uses of the phone. Yeah, and uh, I guess during like fantasy football week season, I might be like burning time on that. But I'm not a total social media obsessive where I have to check it. I'll I'll do. So long story short, I'm about four to five hours of usage a day. If you check your, you know, does your that include time. phone plus laptop plus desktop? All Just that phone stuff? on my phone, that's screen time that I'm actively probably using my phone. So that would include texting calls, you know, Googling something. That's about where I live. So I consider myself average to lower than average because I know a lot of people who are like eight hours easy. And Whew. yeah, it's a lot of time. It is. Yeah, it is. So right. have you, do you ever, ever go out like without your phone? Yeah, we try to, um, on date night, I'll make my wife drive the car. That way I have her. Cause she is a little more, I would say, even though she might say I'm more addicted, but I think she truthfully is better at multitasking. So she's more likely to be on her phone. So when we go out, I'll make sure she'll drive. And equally, once we're at the table at dinner at home with the kids or even at dinner out, no phone, like make a real effort to carve out those moments where it's just us. And then on, especially with children, we'll try to do like Friday night, right? That's it. No screens, no nothing, but inevitably we'll end up watching a movie together as a family, which is still one screen. Yeah, true. But at least we're all engaged on the one In screen. the same thing at one time. Yeah. Right, but no, but no one's allowed to like look at their phone while they're watching TV. No, no, we make a real effort, but it's just those rules always bend as, Unfortunately, it's it's really hard, but generally we try to like get outside or do something with no no screens. You know, it's funny. I've done these sort of unplugged vacations uh, yeah. where I call it zero dark Mason. I'm just going to go zero dark Mason. And it's actually once you get into it, it's easier than you think it is to turn everything off. At least that's my experience. Is that yours? I'd say a hundred percent. Like it truly is. Like once you're used to like, it's almost, I feel like it's almost like telling your kids to push through the boredom. The big thing with children is like, I'm bored. Like, well, that's okay. Go outside and the boredom will wane and then you'll find interest in something, you know? And, and similarly, we feel obligated to be productive. I think is what these phones make us feel like, Oh, or people are counting on me. And once you, unplug and you're okay with the fact that nothing terrible is going to happen on the other side of those calls or texts and that no one, you know, you don't, you're not obligated to do anything other than enjoy or do something that's, you know, immediate in front of you. I agree with you. I think they're completely replenishing. And I always feel like nature is the wind. If you get into nature, chunks of time, 30 minutes, an hour, a walk, a hike, looking at the ocean, that's the real wind too, because that's a true, like, reset like we're animals that evolved in nature and i really think that like just gets you a little bit healthier yeah i guess it really depends on what you do because i i produce tv so you know if i'm running a show i have to be accessible someone has to be able to contact me and even on a weekend someone has to be able to contact me which is horrible you well, know devil's advocate if you told people hey Sue's going out this weekend, uh, hand all your calls to so-and-so. I'll see you guys Monday. That would be no problem. Yeah. In certain circumstances, they need to talk to me, but I was going to ask you, did you ever, I'm going to, I'm not going to drop this. <laughs> no, no, you say go we do this. Then we do this four weeks out, say May, the week of May, whatever, May 7th to May 10th, I'm gone. 
anything you guys are going to need me for, I will be incommunicado. So-and-so, my deputy, she's in charge. Got it? So all those days leading up, get to Sue. Otherwise, I mean it. Yeah. And guess what? Sue's not reachable. So I think a lot of it's you thinking (laughs) it's not possible. Yes, yes, to a certain extent. And I guess it really depends what company you work for. But, you know, I have been working in TV for a very long time and, you know, and I work in reality. So there, the beginning of reality, I could do whatever I want. I'd go out to lunch, I'd get an hour or whatever. And then as time went on, I was actually sitting at my desk eating and watching stuff. And I was expected to do that working for a particular company. And it's crazy and yeah. it's it's not fair. But, but Sue, was, now it's Sue Productions. You should be able to handle it any way you want. Well, now it's different because everything's remote. So they have you know, no idea. I mean, I could be on my phone while I'm talking to them. They wouldn't wouldn't know. But I wanted to ask you, was there ever a time, because being in show business, um, has there ever been a time where you didn't have your phone and someone contacted you about something that they had to have an answer like right away and you missed out on something that you kind of were like god damn and maybe not now in your career but like earlier in your career where it 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 may have eluded you because you aren't as famous as you are now well thank you for realizing how famous i am you are extremely famous you 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 are Uh, you are what comes to mind from that question, uh, I think one time there was a raccoon in the attic and my wife couldn't reach me. Mm. So she called my brother to come over because she was freaked out. So that's an example of, uh, I wish I would have been reachable. So yes, like in television or one of these industries where when you're on set or you're I'm filming in Georgia or something, there are chunks of time that I won't get back, but eventually I will get back. So as far as work goes... I feel like they always find a way, like if it's a sweet gig and they really want you, uh, you'll get back at midnight and they'll hold the phone till midnight. Like, I don't think I've ever like Spielberg needs to know by 5 p.m. (laughs) and then gotten back at 10 o'clock and said, oh, shit, too late. I don't think that's ever happened to me because if they really want you, you know, and I'm and I literally have like said, I'll probably be reachable at, at the end of the day. I don't think I've lost out on anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I had my biggest nightmare. I went to Mexico many years ago with my then boyfriend, both in show business. We're both comedians. And I had gotten the Tonight Show with Johnny. And I went to on vacation and we had a rule on this vacation that we weren't bringing our phones with us. And while we were away, the guy who booked the Tonight Show called me and said, somebody dropped out. Are you going to be available to fill mm. in? And I came home to the message. I missed it. And then that was the year that Johnny, it was his last year. So it was hard to get another booking. And I never did it with Johnny. I know I'm going to go kill myself. You're choosing a really extreme example. No, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I, I, that's why I asked you, you know, did you ever miss out on something that was really important to you? Because that that case, would you have had to fly back? Where were you? I was in Mexico. So would you have like, even if you turned it around in like three hours and they needed you that night, would you have still connected the flight and made it happen? You know what? I think in some ways, in, in, in perversely, it, 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 was a, it was a blessing in disguise in some ways because I had not worked my set out in, you know, which is something that you have to do. Like I yeah. knew I, I, I knew what I was going to do because I discussed it with the guy who books the show. So I knew what my set was going to be, but I hadn't worked it out. You know, you got to go to the clubs and work it out prior to doing the set. I mean, and especially for that show. Um, and it would have been my first time on the show. So I think it was a blessing in disguise in a way mm. that I didn't do it spontaneously. Cause it wouldn't have been the best version of yourself that you were putting out there. I don't think so. I, I don't think I would have been prepared actually. Well, there is that philosophy like as actors too, like you, you get so many like almost hits and then they, they went the other way and, and you think like, Oh, that's the one. But ultimately you kind of have to have faith of like, Oh, there's something else. Or maybe this is the reason I didn't get that. So this other thing could fall in my lap, you know? Right. So, uh, so my favorite thing about unplugging and this has happened to me a few years back, I get into a Uber at, at Kona's at Kona airport and I'm going to go to the resort where I'm going to be staying 
And this woman starts talking and she starts talking about, you know, like rock formations and the volcanoes on the island. And, you know, you should see this while you're in, tried this restaurant. And before you know it, she has gotten to this gigantic government conspiracy uh, that involves uh, 9-11. And I, I was like, I just got sucked down this rabbit hole. That's what happens with that's what happened with you and Leah Thompson's character <laughs> in yeah. unplugging where you're like, oh, my. Oh, my God. And, and I think Eva has a line. She says, I, I was hoping I wouldn't hear the numbers nine and 11. It is such a funny line. But it also because they are off the grid and because there's a series of bizarre power going out, no cell phone. They're starting to get convinced by some of the crazy people they're surrounded by in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it sort of drives their insanity, hopefully. But yeah, yeah, (laughs) it is. You are trapped in a, I took a cab home last night and uh, the guy had a lot of quick opinion. He just, he had a hot take on everything. I'm like, all right, let's do this. Let's do this. All right. I'm like, what about this? He gave me every take on everything and was like, all right. So we just we just had a conversation about funniest TV shows of all time. And Veep is definitely on that list. Uh, For me, it's like it's like Veep and Curb. Veep and Curb. Those are the two shows that I love the most. I asked you about chemistry. When did you when you read the script for Veep? Did you think, oh, yeah, this is this is going to be huge or or did it? I mean, how, how did it read to you? Well, I think it's good pedigree. Armando Iannucci is brilliant. I was a huge fan of the Steve Coogan show, so I was so psyched to be a part of anything that Armando would be uh, writing and directing. So I was confident it would be funny. And then I think once we started making it and we were all sort of, you know, good comedians and, and legit laughing in the table reads, not like fake writer's room laughs, but like that's really funny kind of vibe. Then you know, like, well, at the very least, we're making each other laugh and we know it's funny. And then the intangible sort of like lightning in a bottle, like HBO, super supportive, really great place to do a show, lots of freedom. They pushed the show out there in a way that made people care about it. And also, it was a time that people wanted a funny show about politics because everything was sort of changing. And so those are the intangibles. But I, so long story short, I always knew it was going to be funny, but you never know how much people are going to care about it because I think we've all been a part of really quality shows that just don't get traction or don't get attention. So you have, I know you have a big improv background uh, with UCB and all the, you know, amazing people that you've worked with, Amy Poehler and Zach Galifianakis and and Adam McKay. I didn't realize that that he was uh, an improver. Um, So when you're doing a, a, a show like this, and because the writing is just ridiculously brilliant, you know, and filthy, filthy, dirty. Um, <laughs> how much freedom do you have to to go off script? Or did you have? Uh, uh, you could paraphrase. As long as, like, once the scripts were done, you could paraphrase it because you kind of own the characters really well. And they sort of defer to your sense of ownership in a way, in, in a wonderful way. Um, you could sort of paraphrase lines, but the, I think the show built to a place where improv was used in the rehearsals and then the writers would kind of go away and reshape things and use that improv. And then on set, you might get one free take, but the goal was to sort of play with it in the rehearsal room. And then when we got to the filming stages, we were able to rehearse and play on their feet before we started rolling. Um, So yeah, you could throw, you had freedom to throw anything in you want, but you always wanted to get, what was on the page because it was really good and it had been so much work had put in been put into it by the point you were because we always joke don't memorize your lines the night before because you know the morning walking into set they're going to give you a brand new version of this hmm. you just sort of always were like looking at the latest version and sort of tracking it and understanding the beats and maybe a couple of joke lines and then inevitably in the morning you're like okay here this is what we're doing so I want to ask you, saying that you would get new lines, how difficult is that as an actor when you have memorized and then you come in to shoot and some of it has changed? Well, it is difficult if you go to sleep and those lines are in your head verbatim, which is, I think, what you want to do as an actor the night before, get them in your head so you can sleep on them. Uh, and then you're so psyched to do it and you're not used to these like whole cloth changes. 
on a show like Veep, it can be very uh, discombobulating, obviously. But uh, you get used to it. And also, like I said, you can paraphrase or kind of like put it in your character's vernacular a little bit. As long as you're hitting the hard jokes, we had the freedom to like sort of put it in our own words and have it be overlappy in a natural way. So I'm a huge fan of Armando Inucci, the thick of it and in the yeah. loop and created Veep. He was your showrunner for four years. And then David Mandel, who's been a guest on the show, uh, he took over as showrunner. What was that transition like from Armando Inucci to David Mandel? Well, first of all, you're going to have to listen to my podcast called Second in Command, where we, I go, will through absolutely. Every, yes. where we go through every episode of Veep, and we're currently going into the fourth season right before the transition. And, and then we're going to start having Dave Mandel on. We ha- we've held off uh, from having him. He listens to every episode. He's, so, he's such a fan of the show. Uh, anyways, the transition was huge because Armando stepped away, kind of left it in this constitutional knot where the electoral college was tied and there was only sort of one writer seemingly who could be trusted with the show, according to HBO and Julia and Frank Rich. And it was Dave Mandel and they met with Dave. And then there was the challenge of like putting it together in LA and reassembling a lot of the pieces that were working in Baltimore, but also bringing a, a different, a sort of slightly different approach to shooting it here in California um, a little more organized, a little more traditional, perhaps, because I think the characters were all set by that point. So there was, as the seasons went on, there was less and less improv. But it was a very uh, dramatic, you know, shift. The show could not, there, you know, there's a good chance it could have stopped at four seasons. You know, Julia really pushed for it because she loved and appreciated the sort of magical show that she was at the head of. And those shows don't come around very often. I think she had that sense of urgency and I think HBO loved the show and so there was a there was some scattering and scrambling and we as actors were sort of kept in the dark to not stress us out like Mama Bear Julia was keeping us in the dark but ultimately it worked out great and uh, it was a bumpy transition but ultimately we landed eventually in in the show I think continued in quality And, and, and with a slightly different rhythm. How far in advance did you know what the season what the finale of the show was going to be? That's a great question. I should have an exact, I felt like maybe a year out, we knew like this is our final season. So by the time they were going into writing and I think Julia was battling breast cancer around this time. So we'd been like on hiatus for a while. I think a call came in, you know, 10 months before the final episode probably aired or a year. And they said, I think this is our last season and these are the reasons. And it was, so we had a, Long heads up. What did uh, people in politics or what do people in politics say to you about Veep? They say it's the most accurate show about politics. That is so scary. Yeah, I know. It is. (laughs) So scary. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you know, it's even more scary considering it got worse when Trump was in there. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, you know what I found was amazing. It's like, oh, we wish it was like Veep. Yeah, right. The the (laughs) old days, the old days. You know, the thing I love about it is um, that policy is so unimportant in Veep. Like it's it's not about and I think there were a few plans over the year. We're going to pass this plan or we're going to pass. But in the end, it really was just about winning. It wasn't about policy or making the lives of people better. It was really just about winning, which is makes it uh, scary that people in politics say that's the way it is. I well, think that's accurate, right? I think that's why it breaks down too, because people forsake their principles for the win or they'll, I don't know. Then it didn't like uh, 47 people walk out after they voted no against uh, justice Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Is that like snubbing your nose at the insult of her quality? Like, what is that? Yes. That's yes. just trying to win something, I think. Right. I think that's like trying to win something. And I'm not sure what you're winning, but that's always trying to get a win. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 At any cost. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. It never stops. And that's why 
politics is the worst. I would never want to be in politics. Yeah, I would never want to be in politics under any circumstances. That is a field I'm not interested in. I wanted to circle back to um, unplugging one last time. Um, I, the, the thing about unplugging is that, and this should tell you something, Google as a company tells employees that one weekend a month, they should get completely off their phones and completely off their laptops and completely offline uh, because that refresh actually has led to more creativity and productivity. Um, so I, I think that's sort of one of the big, and I, the movie made me laugh a lot. Maybe I, I, it really does crack me up. Um, but it, that's sort of the, the takeaway message from it, right? I think you're right. I think technology is here to stay. It's not like saying smash your phones and walk away from these devices that we're uh, slaves to in some way. It's carving out chunks of time to one, it's exactly right. It ultimately makes you more productive. Like work expands to time allotted. That's the truth of it all. Like if you make yourself always available for work, you can be working all the time. But if you say, I'm going to crank out a hundred emails in a four hour window, and I'm not going to touch the emails until tomorrow, you're still cranking out for a hundred emails a day. So it is, it's creating boundaries around these things. That's really important. And beyond that, it's about engaging with other people and being present, like, you know, like in a relationship, looking people in the eye and saying, what's going on or with your kids, like taking a moment to absorb nature or each other or play a board game or watch a movie, even though that's a screen, you know what I mean? Those yeah, are yeah. small acts and chunks of time that inevitably you'll still pick up your phone at the end of the night to check the score of the Bulls game or something. And then you'll be on your phone first thing in the morning, seeing what the wordle is, but you're still <laughs> creating that little window and, it, and it's a discipline. Like that's, that's the challenge is we have to discipline ourselves because they do pray on our dopamine hits, obviously like that buzz. Every time the phone buzzes or rings something in our brain chemistry thinks optimism. It's not the dread of like, Oh God, my mom's sick. It's more like, Ooh, it's excitement. And that, that hit of adrenaline or dopamine is what is tricking us all the time. So yeah, right. yeah you do have to carve it out. And, uh, I want to ask you about your Rams. Is that a Rams jersey? Uh, yeah. Rams jersey. Big you year. Guys, you guys have uh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Alan Robinson, former bear on your squad, this team. That's right. I forgot you're a Chicago guy. That's going to be an interesting, uh, you guys could go back to the Super Bowl. I, you know what? I think it's totally possible. We, we, I, I think Allen Robinson's a huge upgrade. Stafford looks great uh, yeah. at, at quarterback. Uh, we brought in Bobby Wagner from the Seahawks. I mean, the I, I, thing I love is, and I don't know how you feel as a Bears fan about it, but our guys, they are all in at all times. Like Les Snead, our general manager, Sean McVay, our head coach, Kevin Demoff, our COO. He, and by the way, I am saying we. Because uh, I do yeah, love this you're team. You're drinking and the Kool Aid. I, I am a season ticket holder, <laughs> but I mean, all all those guys are in go for it mode all the time. And I'm trying to think, when was the last time your team, the Bears, were really good? Well, we went to the Super Bowl in '06, and right. so against the Colts, and we could have beat them, but uh, for whatever reason, we didn't. Um, but I'd say that era with Lovey Smith, there were some good teams. And then Urlacher and that defense was pretty great. And so it's been a while since then, but I'm optimistic. They have a new GM and a new head coach. So I'm optimistic about uh, the new, the new team. I don't know this season if we'll be that impressive, but I'm, I'm buying into the new, uh, the refresh, if you will. Are you a Cubs or White Sox guy? I'm not a baseball guy. I got to oh. say like people would hate mm. that. I kind of root for both of them, but I don't really follow baseball. So Hmm. Uh, I'll go to a Dodger game once a year and, you know, but no, I'm not a baseball guy. And you're wearing the LAFC hat. We were talking about that a little bit before we went on the air. You've been out to Bank of California Stadium and watched them play. It's a, it's a great scene. Yeah. There's so much like, I haven't even been to like a USC football game or a UCLA basketball game. I'm, and I've lived in LA for like 16 years. Oh yeah. It's time to get out there, man. I know. And I have kids. It's like, I haven't groomed them to be sports fans terrible all right get on it get on it. on it 
There's plenty of time. Okay, so so mention your podcast because I did not know about the podcast coming in. So for all you Veep fans, there's a podcast called Second in Command. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. It's Tim Simons and myself from Veep. Uh, what do we call it? We call it a questionably no. It's Second in Command, a Veep rewatch, a questionably accurate podcast from the Outsiders Insiders. Excellent. I love <laughs> nice. that. I love that. Um, and Unplugging is the movie. It is coming out Friday, April the 22nd. It's so much fun. I, I strongly recommend. Hey, Matt, it's a, it's a huge uh, thrill to get to talk to you. Thank you very much for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure. Nice to meet you both. There's Matt Walsh. The movie is Unplugging. Made me laugh a lot. So I've got an idea. So he's doing a podcast that covers every episode of Veep. Mm -hmm. So what somebody needs to do is to create a podcast that follows every episode of the Culture Pop podcast. What do you think of that? Wow. That's a brilliant idea. That's kind of meta, isn't it? That's me- I've used that term twice now in this show. I'm not exactly sure what it means, but I think it applies. What does it mean? What does meta mean? Do you have an idea of what it means? I, I, is it like it's happening as it's happening kind of it's, thing? I, it's I, happening, I, but making a comment on things at the same time. Because like Facebook is meta now. Oh, well, yeah, that's that step. Facebook has changed its name to Meta. Right. Uh, Meta. And Meta World Peace, but that was spelled with uh, two T's. Two T's, exactly. Um, Okay. Showing or suggesting an explicit awareness of itself or oneself as a member of its category, cleverly self-referential. So if somebody did a podcast that covered every episode of the Culture Pop podcast, that, in fact, would be self-referential, cleverly, Mm -hmm. and it would be meta. There you have it. Meta, I was using it the right way. All right, then. Challenge my vocabulary. All right. So uh, that's it for today. Sue, great seeing you as always. Mm -hmm. Don't forget to subscribe to the Culture Pop podcast on iTunes, Spotify at stevemason.com and leave us a rating and a review. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop podcast. Mm -hmm.